Hi, this is David Tejada, and you're listening to The Light Source. And welcome to episode 9 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net. StudioLighting.net introduces photographers to studio and portrait photography equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with David Tejada, a commercial photographer from Denver, Colorado. He specializes in location photography for annual reports and business collateral material for all types of industries. He has some really interesting things to say to us and some uh, lighting advice for some odd environments such as like in a coal mine. So that'll be a good interview to listen to. Yeah, looking forward to talking with David. What about uh, current events? What's going on? Well, for me, probably the big news is that uh, Getty Images has acquired iStockphoto.com. How about that? Yeah, it's a uh, big, big move for the, uh, or big big news for the, the micro stock industry. Uh, I'm uh, very excited to see what's going to come about with uh, Getty behind iStock and um, interested to see their, their global growth and see where this goes. For more information, um, it's probably best to check out Bruce's press release. Um, Bruce Livingstone, CEO of iStock, over at, on the front page of iStockphoto.com and I talked to him this week, and we're going to try and have him on the show pretty soon here. Yeah, that's going to be great. And then we'll really get a feel for um, for Microstock and, and talk with one of the probably biggest players in, in, in the Microstock movement. I would agree. Looking forward to that. Um, anything new going on that you've noticed, Bill? Um, as we were preparing for the show, I just saw that um, Adobe Lightroom is in beta 2. A new version of that just came out, so that's kind of cool. Please tell me it's available for PC. Not yet, <laughs> so we can't really uh, we can't really play with it. But if if any of you out there have played with it and have any experience you want to share, let us know because we're we're curious. All we can see is screenshots here in, uh, in Windows. Quick time movies, <laughs> right? Uh, let's see what else is going on. Our uh, Flickr uh, group, the Light Source Flickr group, has been growing. It's on fire, man! That was really cool. We talked about starting up a, a Light Source. Flickr group in episode eight, and all of a sudden we're up to what, like sixty some, uh, sixty uh, some members, sixty one members right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's not too bad for a couple of weeks. Not at all. Thirty five photos are in the group poll for to to see what your fellow light source listeners are shooting, and the discussions going really well. I'm, I'm having a blast just reading through people's comments about shows and seeing the interaction between photographers. You know about about everything that we uh, we do here. Yeah, that's great stuff. One of the things that has been really neat is how people are sharing some of their technique and like tricks. There was even a thread on there about um, like shortcuts and cheap lighting setups, <laughs> which is really neat to watch, read through. That's great. It's great seeing that stuff. It's almost like a light source podcast extended. Yeah. And it works really well um, with StudioLighting.net as a tie-in because I actually contacted a couple of the photographers that had contributed information and asked if I could repost some of their work on studiolighting.net for the thousands of people a day that visit there to get a, a, a view of that as well. So I'd like to take a minute to thank Joseph Holst, who gave us two articles actually, one on a home, how to build a homemade light box and one on how to make a homemade ring light. So that was one that 
we were really interested in checking out. And then also Udi Turash, who's written a great article on portable flash exposure. So check those out on studiolighting.net. Oh, those are great articles. I remember I've seen the one from Udi before on some other form at some point. So it's it's really cool to have him part of uh, part of studiolighting.net. Absolutely. And I and I you know if anybody out there has uh, tips or tricks or suggestions, we uh, we'd really love to become the place for that, so we can kind of build a clearinghouse of studio lighting hacks or something, you know, so to speak. <laughs> well, I I did see that Joseph had posted a suggestion in the uh, the discussion section. He wanted us to podcast one a day. Yeah, uh, I saw that. <laughs> what do you think? You up for it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Does he know what kind of production goes on with us? Yeah, well, what do you mean? It's just a few minutes, right? It only takes yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we would love to, to broadcast a lot more often, and, and we'll see how things go as we, as we move forward. We've got some great stuff lined up. So for now, we'll keep it at every other week just because of the uh, amount of effort it takes to do some editing and stuff that goes into the show. But... Um, we really love the encouragement. We really appreciate all the feedback. So keep it coming. Definitely. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And for you guys that love contributing, if any of you want to send us a bumper or a little station ID or something like that, just send us an MP3 file to studiolighting at gmail.com. It's probably about all the news that we have for right now. Uh, we don't want to hold up this interview because there's a lot of really good information and we don't want to cut any of it for time. So, So let's get right into the interview. Sounds great. Let's go. All right, we're talking with David Tejada. David is a Denver-based photographer. David's been serving corporate communications and marketing community for 20 years and specializes in location photography. So um, welcome, David. Thank you. Nice to be with you this evening. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get started in uh, in commercial photography? Uh, that's kind of a uh, strange beginning for me. I... Uh like a lot of people, had a lot of different jobs. And at one time in my life, I was a flight attendant for a major airline. I was a working professional working out of Houston, Texas. And uh, on my flight, I, I happened to have a uh, portfolio of my fine art photography, which I enjoyed doing at the time. I kind of, kind of followed the steps of Ansel Adams and Paul Strand and Edward Weston type stuff. And I used to sell my work... Uh, uh, during my flights, uh, particularly around the Christmas season. And anyhow, this gentleman was on my flight. Uh, his name's Joe Barabin. He works out of Houston, Texas. Uh, I introduced myself. We had a chance to talk a little bit, uh, showed him my portfolio. And uh, in our conversation, I had learned that uh, a feature article had just been written about him in uh, Communication Arts Magazine. And it happened to have been the only Communication Arts Magazine that I had ever seen. But I definitely recalled the images and I thought, boy, that is some fantastic work and I'd really like to be able to do something like this. And there, there's this gentleman sitting in front of me who was that artist. Oh, wow. And it was kind of a, a strange situation, but, you know, being an airline uh, flight attendant, it allowed me a lot of free time from work. Uh, I'd get maybe two weeks off a, a month, it seemed like. Uh, if you're clever in, in scheduling your, your time that way. And I used to fly down to Houston to help Joe with his black and white printing and assisting on jobs. And at, at some point, uh, I don't know, about after three months of kind of traveling from Denver down to uh, Houston to work for Joe, uh, he asked me to work for him full time. And, and I did. And I uh, learned all about uh, commercial photography. At the time, I'd never been in a studio before. I'd never seen strobe lights. Uh, I didn't even know you could really make a living 
uh, in professional photography, quite honestly. It was just a great experience, and I worked for him for several years, and when it came time to uh, march out on my own, I, I was based in Denver as a flight attendant. I really liked the climate here. I'm originally from California, and uh, so I just came to Denver and uh, uh, walked into town uh kind of uh, selling myself as a working professional, relocating from Houston to Denver, even though I really hadn't shot a job, but I had a fairly strong portfolio, actually. I shot every day I could when I was off of work and uh, tried to build a what looked like a, uh, a professional portfolio, and that's kind of how I got started. Back in 1983, I should should say, is when I started my business. Okay. So most of your most of your photography now is, uh, is corporate. Is it you travel a lot, or how does... I travel much probably uh i i have uh i've had as many as uh i think one time i looked i had about 120 days in a year on the road that was probably the most um wow but now you know i'm uh i'm traveling quite extensively even though i'm based in denver i'm i do a lot of international work and i do uh, all over around the united states uh, a lot of my clients are engineering and uh, uh mining companies I mean, I have energy companies as well, but a lot of those type of industries or heavy industry type clients uh, have uh, facilities all around the country, overseas, and, and if you're lucky enough, you, you get an opportunity to do those kind of uh, assignments. So what is it like working on location in some of these areas? Well, uh, as an annual report photographer or a corporate shooter, um, location work is, can be very challenging. Uh, you have to be extremely versatile in your in your ability to uh, photograph for a client. You're required to shoot, you know, your CEO and uh, board of directors and such. But then you need to go into places like very dirty factories, uh, <laughs> mine sites, photographing uh, underground, wow. uh, maybe maybe in a jungle, deserts. Uh, you know, you know, uh, it's it's just bizarre the different places you have to uh, put yourself. As a location shooter, you know, my days start uh, well before the sun rises. I'm always there at least a half hour before sunrise, and I always try to use the sky, the color in the sky. Uh, a lot of my, I, sh I should back up just a little bit, um, it requires quite a bit of scouting, and a lot of scouting can be done prior to even getting to the location itself. I use a, uh, a software program that I purchased from the Navy of their observation uh Astrological Observation Group. It's it's a program called MICA, and I'll be happy to uh, provide your listeners with a link. They they now have it online where you can use this. When you travel anywhere in the world, you can simply type in the longitude and latitude, or just pull down uh, a city, and it will give you the the uh, sunrise, the sunset, and the uh, compass head in which the sunrise and the sun will set. So wow. when you're there in the dark, if you have a compass with you, which I carry with me all the time, uh, I simply know exactly where the uh, uh, sun will rise on the horizon. And if there's height fittings or some something that I want to put in the photograph to silhouette with my assistant in the photograph, as, you know, as my model, okay. <laughs> uh, I can certainly uh, position an individual, you know, prior to the sun coming up. So you can actually use those kind of tools to help you. Uh, you know, get a handle on on your location work just to start off. So you you make a lot of use of the the lights that's already there. Then I assume it's just striking the way that you've used natural light. Well, 
know, I use available light. I think it was uh, Eugene Smith that that uh, said he used available light, being strobe light, candlelight, window light. <laughs> Whatever's available, right? <laughs> Whatever is available, you know. I take a full complement of lighting gear with me, and, and my lighting gear depends upon the specific assignment. Sometimes I'm carrying just uh, an icon. I shoot Nikon equipment, I should say. Okay. Uh, and have for many years. I'm currently shooting with a, a D2X, which I really, Ooh. really enjoy. I carry a lot of lenses, or you know, enough that is to get the job done. You know, I used to carry a lot more than I do now. I, I've kind of gotten into zoom lenses quite a bit, and try to I try to reduce my load as much as possible. When you go out to the uh, to the location, uh, you mentioned that you get there very early. Does that mean that you shoot throughout the day? Do you favor yes, a particular I, part of the I, day? I do. I uh, I usually arrive on location at least a half hour prior to sunrise. And uh, I'm doing that so that I can use the color of a sunrise as a backdrop where I might want to be photographing and silhouetting uh, either objects or people with objects. And I'm going to use that sky as a colorful backdrop. Maybe there's some existing lighting there. Maybe I'm going to add my own. But um, I use that sky as a beautiful backdrop. And then once the sun reaches the horizon, well, then that's when I'm going to start working on objects that are illuminated directly by the sun. I try to put the sun perpendicular to me. I don't like, unless I'm deliberately backlighting, I like to have some nice strong shadows. And I will shoot as long as I feel that the sun is pleasant to look at. And once the sun gets too high in the sky, at that point, my photography is done outside until later in the day. Okay. I'm going to spend the rest of the day either scouting for my locations for sunset and late afternoon light, and then I'm going to go inside and photograph using my lights for those kind of scenes that I need to shoot in an indoor setting, whether it's people behind computers, uh, people in a factory, um, what have you. Anywhere that's inside that's going to require some lighting, I'm going to do that when the light is just terrible outside. And then once the light looks nice late in the afternoon, that's when I'm back out on location. Um, usually I have, uh, you know, support of the people that I'm, hopefully I have the support of the people I'm photographing, and I have the individuals that I need to put in the photograph. Whether it's somebody positioning a truck or workers across the way doing something, uh, I have a, a group of individuals that I can use as models. And if uh, if their employees are not available, then I've also got my assistant, Eric, and, and uh, you throw a hard hat on him or he's got one on anyhow. Uh, we dress him up in some really cool clothes, <laughs> make, make him look good, and then uh, I'll use him as a model and, and uh, I'll shoot right down through sunset and, again, and the color of the clouds in the sky, that's my opportunity to, to place uh, objects beneath such a you know, pretty sky and, and use that as a, uh, a backdrop. And so my days are quite long, particularly during the summer months. You know, it's early mornings. It's, it's really late. Uh, you don't probably sometimes, you know, you've got to drive two hours to a location from where your hotel is. And, <laughs> and uh, then you want to get a bite to eat. And then you're back up in the morning at, uh, you know, 430 in order to get to where you need to be and, and uh, you know, a one-week job going out on the road shooting, you know, from, from daybreak to sunset is uh, very exhausting. can be. I can imagine. And when it comes to lighting equipment, um, 
what do you take in your bag? Do you take strobes? Do you take a mixture? I do. Um, when I when my assignments are primarily uh, an indoor office type setting, maybe not an industrial type, you know, uh, mine site and such. But let's say I'm doing a manufacturing or a high tech thing where I'm going into uh, small manufacturing, people behind computers, behind instruments and such. I take a couple of roll around cases, some Tamarack cases, and and in these I have um, usually three uh, uh, Dynalite 1000 packs. Six heads. I carry uh, several stands, lots of grip equipment. Okay. Um, you know, grids, soft boxes, uh, several reflectors. Um, and one thing I just absolutely love is um, a pocket wizard, and uh, that has just been a, a great little tool to have. I, I really like mine. But that those two roll around cases for indoor type jobs is usually what I'll I'll carry with. Um, when it comes to an industrial site where I'm going to be outside, not a lot of electricity available in those situations, I have a complement of Lumidine battery-operated uh, equipment. Okay. I carry an 800-pack, a 400-pack, uh, and four heads. And then on a very, what I call, compact and creative kit is my uh, SB-800s. I carry on a small, small kit four SB-800s with an SU-800 uh, command unit, which you, you put in your hot shoe and you can fire these uh, uh, TTL SB-800s from Nikon um, remotely from a distance, they say, of 60 feet of, or so. But uh, very cool. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a lot of toys. I think photographers like a lot of little knick-knack stuff. And I just take what's going to be appropriate for the given assignment that I'm that I'm working on. Well, now you do a lot of work with people who are not professional models. They're your average yeah. person. Yes. How do you direct them or tell them what to do while you know, you're on a shoot? Well, what I do is I, I try to make it fun for everybody. Um, uh, I approach it not as though I need to take these photographs and this is going to be a real nuisance for you. Rather than I, you know, I, I would rather say to them, "This is I need your help in making a photograph, and I need I need you to I need to photograph you doing something." And a lot of times, you know, when you ask people to help you uh, make a photograph, they think immediately that it's it's a headshot, right. and they're going to be the most prominent thing in the photograph. I actually bring them right around behind the camera. I have them look through the camera, and I'll go out and I'll pose and I'll show them what I want them to do. Right. I want you with this controller, this fancy wireless controller, and you're raising this pallet of uh, magnesium whatever it is. <laughs> is it? And, and, and I want it off the ground a certain height. I said, you know, and I always ask them, I said, number one, you got the proper tools, you got your glasses, your hard hat. Is there anything in this photograph that I, it's gonna, is any reason this is going to be thrown out because you don't have the proper gear? You know, yeah. you have to have all the safety equipment on and such. And, you know, and I'll ask them, I say, you know, what would really be cool is if I can get this thing up this high and over here, and I, it, can I get your hands on here like this, like you're pushing, or is that not right? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We're not allowed to touch this thing. It's an no, ocean no. thing. Okay, fine. You know, so I'm asking, I'm saying, this is what I'd really like because this looks cool. Right. You know, this, this would look really neat, particularly if I'm really low and I've got this 15-millimeter lens. This would look dramatic. Could you be this close to this object? Nope. You can't be that close. You have to be further than a certain whatever. Okay, fine. So once I know my limitations, you know, 
they see that, hey, that looks pretty cool. And so they'll get out there and they'll do it for me. I said, what would it be like if you did this? Or could you do that? And all of a sudden they're, hey, how would this look? You know, and so they're starting <laughs> to offer suggestions on, on what they think might look good. They've had the opportunity to look through the back of the camera now. And they say, wow, I never thought, I never thought it looked like that. God, it didn't look like that at all. Quite often when I go on location, um, the individuals that I have to photograph are, are just real folks. I, I don't shoot a lot of professional talent. And, uh, you know, these people are all working folks. They're wearing their normal clothes that uh, most people would out in the field. And and a lot of times the clothing that these folks are wearing, whether they're T-shirts and and uh, they've got some sort of uh, cartoon character on the front of it and such, uh, I want to I want to spiff up the photograph as much as possible. So I've I've actually started carrying with me uh, during the summer months uh, colored T-shirts or lightweight jackets that I can have people wear that are going to appear in the photograph, so that I can introduce some interesting color uh, into the uh, photograph. Uh, I've got a photograph up of a gentleman in a bright yellow slicker going up the side of a uh, LNG tank, a liquid natural gas tank, and the tanks are blue. And rather than using their, their green slickers, I asked the guy to pull out a rain slicker instead. And I put this guy in a bright yellow rain slicker because the, the yellow, the yellow and the, and the blue tanks go so well together. If I have a choice, you know, I'm going to try to put the appropriate color and, and, and clothing on somebody that I can. Uh, to enhance the photograph. Okay. It, it's very important. And, you know, and again, I, I, uh, use walkie talkies to make sure that they're on the, the appropriate stair. Let's go up, climbing up. That's far enough. Turn around, come back down. Great. Hold that. Okay. Stick, you know, stick your hand out. You know, I, I tell them what, you know, kind of what to do. I kind of direct them, basically. And I'm carrying all that gear. You're almost like a, you know, costume coordinator as well. Yeah, I do. I do carry some clothing and, and a lot of gear. You know. So you consider yourself more more like a designer when you lay these shots out. I mean, you're talking about using color of sky and and things like that. All of this is part of your your plan, then. Oh yes, so. yes, definitely. I mean, I really am a designer with a camera, and and I guess uh, you know my clients feel that I would do a better job than them art directing me. So they're they're very happy with the images that I bring back. I'm very self-motivated and and uh you know once i understand the scope of the project and and what we're trying to detect um i've got enough experience behind me now or you know i can i'll I'll get the shots sort of like buying a really nice insurance policy you know you you hire somebody that knows what they're doing you're going to get the shots you know (laughs) i actually have one image up right now on and i'll just describe it to you there's a lab technician white coat seated in front of uh some instruments that uh, do something. <laughs> I don't know exactly <laughs> what it is. I can't recall what it what it is. But um, this particular location was one of those. Uh, I think it was Ed that said uh, subtractive lighting. I, I uh, lit it in such a way that I was actually hiding things that were very ugly in the background. Uh, this particular shot, I, I uh, bounced one light with a blue strobe, a blue gel, off the ceiling, which gave a low base blue background type feel to it and then with a very small i guess this was a dynalite i used like a 10 degree grid and i just skimmed the front of the uh machinery with a uh 
either a full CTO or a light amber gel. Okay. I like I like putting cool colors and warm colors together, very complimentary. Right. And then I used one small grid with just natural light on the face of the technician. A face isn't doesn't look good if it's blue or if it's <laughs> right. pure, pure you know orange. So <laughs> it has to have a believable tone to it. So this basically took like two lights. One bounced off the ceiling with a, a low base of blue, a little bit of uh, gelled light on the front of the machinery, and then one right on the face of the uh, technician. And, and that photograph would be, uh, you know, on your Flickr site as well. Great. How do you meter a scene like that? It seems pretty complex in terms of lighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Polaroid was the way to go a long time ago. I've, I have actually been digital, honestly, about five years. I... <laughs> I started very early. I bought the first uh, SLR that came out, which was, I think, the Olympus 2500 CL or something. I, it was a 2.3 megapixel camera, and I actually shot a professional job with it. I did headshots. Wow. It was very difficult. I looked very <laughs> silly using it, but I, I was determined. Uh, I mean, it looked like just regular one of your snap-and-shoot digital cameras today with the uh, the zoom lens that comes poking out in the front of the, the camera. And, and uh, you know, I, I managed to get some very nice uh, portraits. It only had like two F-stops, so I had to put neutral density gels on my on my heads to get it exactly to the F-stop that I was wow. <laughs> forced to shoot at. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've been doing digital for quite some time. And now, as a matter of fact, this is kind of a, a fun way to view your, your images. Since I have at well, I don't work with art directors very often or designers. I usually go out on my own. I'm very much self-art directed. Most of my clients simply send me out to create images, and then they'll design around the, the photographs that I come back with, which is which is quite nice. I mean, I don't I don't mind somebody being with me, but um, what I'm getting at is is I use now to to uh, evaluate my my scene that I've lit. I use a portable Polaroid DVD player, one of those seven-inch DVD players. Okay. And, and I use my video out cable that came with the camera, and I'm shooting a, an Icon D2X, and I put that, plug that right into the uh, DVD player, and now I've got a seven-inch screen, <laughs> which oh, is exactly <laughs> which is exactly the back of my camera. So if I, one unfortunate thing is it turns off the the uh, LED on the back of the camera. I can't see the image on the back of my camera but now that i've got you know this dvd player with the big screen right. when i do a histogram on it i can see it when i zoom in it just it's fantastic so this way the client can see it because clients don't like looking on the back of a smaller right. you know and i'm not i'm not carrying a laptop with me all the time at least i'm not hooked up to a laptop shooting uh if somebody really needs to see it then i'll just download it to the laptop we'll look at it we'll analyze it but you know, aside from that, the, the portable DVD player works uh, extremely well for me. I really, uh, really enjoy using that. And clients seem to appreciate that when, when they're there and they can see something uh, bigger than just the back of the camera. That seems like a great tip for uh, for anyone who's doing work in, in that environment. Yeah, what's really neat is this, this Polaroid one, the screen rotates. So when you flip it up like a laptop, it will spin around, and then you can reclose it again. So it's like a little tablet. That's great. And I use a couple of bogan clamps, and I'll clamp it right onto the side yeah. of my tripod. 
<laughs> and, and so, I, you know, I can see it live right there. It's trapped right onto my tripod if I'm doing a technically, you know, lit thing where I, where I feel like this would be beneficial to have and, and I've got a client there that wants to look at it. So uh, it's, it's really quite a handy thing. It's very inexpensive. I think I spent like $100 for a DVD player. I was going to say prices cheap. have come down. Yeah. I know what I'm playing with after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now you use the D2X. Do you mostly, you up, you shoot raw? Oh, I do. I, I always shoot raw. As a matter of fact, I, uh, uh, I carry a, a spare camera also. I carry a, a D70. Uh, I used to have a D100, which I, I really liked the camera quite a bit, but uh, the problem I had, because I, in, uh, I insist on shooting raw. The write speed was so slow on the D100, I would get uh, if I turned off the uh, noise reduction uh, filter on the on, on the uh, camera functions, I could get maybe four raw images in sequential order, and then I'd get frozen out for a period of time until the memory was uh, you know had written down to the uh, the compact flash card. Right. So here I am photographing a CEO. I get four shots done. I go over to him. I say, I adjust his tie and I kind of, uh, straighten things out. And we're just chit chatting about business or whatever. And I'm just stalling. <laughs> right. You know, and I go back and I, I get a few shots and then I, I go back to him and I start adjusting. And all of a sudden the guy gets a complex because he thinks, Jesus, I, you know, I'm really a mess here. This guy keeps coming over and, straightening things out oh, well great. you know then i then i found that the d70 went down to the local camera store and looked at it and the guy just started ripping off all these images it just kept going in raw oh, and, so and i went that that's it for me man i said you know i just for shooting executives i gotta have this camera so i bought the d70 and i and then i ended up putting my d100 as my backup camera and shooting specifically with the d70 or d70 wow. And uh, and then I got to the point where, heck, I'm going to sell the D100. I'm going to buy the D2X. And the file size is enormous. The, the <laughs> prints are are just gorgeous. I I was over at a client's office today, and they had uh, made some very large wall en- enlargements of uh, some images I'd taken for them uh, several months ago, and it was just beautiful to see such sharp images uh, from that camera. Just really, really excellent. And I. And I do. I just I just shoot raw. That's it. And in terms of your workflow, um, what sort of applications do you use? I mean, are you are you an Apple guy and use Apple? Oh, I'm or? definitely an Apple guy. I'm I'm strictly Apple. Um, my wife is a graphic designer, so we use all Apples. I think. Geez, well, I think we've got like seven seven computers in the house, <laughs> and uh, way too many, you know. Uh, but I I, I use uh, CS2. Adobe Photoshop, and uh, you know I, I start off in the bridge, and uh, I'll do uh, mass adjustments as I go through, and I, I love that with the automated systems. I mean, you can do things in bridge and still have Photoshop free to do things for you. So uh, I, I'm strictly Photoshop. Um, I use the bridge to do my initial adjustments, uh, use them, uh, you know, the curves and okay. white white balance and so on. And, would you say you do like to do a lot of post-processing or do you find yourself doing more of the creative stuff on camera? You know what I mean? Like, in oh the my shot. gosh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be shooting. I can't, can't 
you know, I, I enjoy the computer, but um, I process so many images, yeah. and, and I shoot a lot of images, and I just don't have the time to go through all of them. So I'm trying to make as minimal amount of adjustments as possible, strictly to the point. Sometimes what I'm doing, actually, what helps me quite a bit is I, I offer my clients the opportunity to view their images online. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll produce a website specifically for them. They'll go in, look at them, and they'll say, these are the 56 images that we want out of your shoot. So now I can only concentrate on the 56. I don't right. have to worry about the other ones. The other ones I'm going to keep for myself unless they're just, you know, really bad. But, sure. you know, uh, their needs are specific and mine are maybe more artistic. So, you know, maybe they're, they're a literal client and they want specifically something that's not so interesting to me. But, right. you know, I'll make a website for them. They go through them. They tell me what they want. And it's those that I'll make sure that I get the proper uh, adjustments on them, and I'll deliver them to them. Retouching, uh, you know, I, I can offer that service for them, but that's not something that that I would normally do. Uh, I never did it when I shot film, so I'm I'm, I'm not doing it now. Uh, of course, if there's a big boo boo in it with a uh, you know big hair on your uh, on your uh, sensor, then of course you're gonna you're gonna clean that out because it's the right thing to do, but. Uh, so now, what sort of advice would you give to a photographer that's looking to get into to kind of going from maybe a hobbyist to a professional? Well, educate yourself and shoot a lot. Um, I would suggest taking workshops as well. Uh, I have done uh, Santa Fe workshop. I've done one of those. Enjoyed it immensely. Didn't learn a lot from the instructor, but got a lot from the other students. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of the people that attend workshops are working professionals, uh, they've got some little tricks up their sleeves, and, and you can learn a lot from the people that are in your workshop. Not to say you can't learn from the instructor, that was just happened to be my case when I went. But uh, uh, I, I'm i self-taught, I went to workshops, I used to read a lot of Amphoto books, or whatever they were called, and, you know, lighting books and such. Um, shoot a lot of, well, I was going to say film, shoot a lot of images, um, <laughs> Look at them, and you've got such a benefit nowadays to look at the image immediately and see what it's doing. Get yourself one light. Start lighting things. If you want to go, I mean, there's so many different specialties in photography, wedding photographers, portrait photographers. I happen to be a corporate location guy, and that's my specialty. Um, if you want to do corporate location stuff, you see my work, you go to the website, you like that kind of stuff, you say, it really looks like it'd be a lot of fun to do. You know, what you'd want to do is, is, uh, wherever you live, there's got to be some sort of industrial type setting. You want to shoot things at night. You want to show your ability to sh capture things at, at night with the lights on. Be creative. Look at other images and say, this is a good starting point for me. I want to create something like this and go with it. Get your own friend, get a hard hat, go out and create something, whatever it is. You see an image you like, Use that as a starting point, a jump-off point, and try to create something like that for yourself. Great advice. Yes, and you'll learn. You'll learn by doing that. You're saying, I don't know, what what is it that, that I'm not getting from... I've got this picture here. I really like it. Maybe I'm not using the right lens. It's not enough compression. Right. Maybe I need a longer lens. You know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's practice, 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 really. It's really good advice. Well, um... 
we've got some we've got some really great material here, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy this interview. David, I want to thank you again for for uh, getting online with us. Well, it's a real pleasure to speak with you guys. We do have a uh, a tradition on the show here. We were wondering if you'd be game for a couple of rapid fire questions here at the end of the interview. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, uh, we'll just ask ask away and uh, see how quickly you can you can answer these. You want to go first, Ed? Sure. Um, uh, favorite magazine. Favorite magazine. Well, let's see. I like CA. I like Communication Arts Magazine. And uh, here, I've been getting this, um, gosh, I can't even think of the name of it. It's a digital photography pro magazine. Let me see here. I can't. I think I know which one you're talking I think it's called Digital Photo Pro. I think that's it. I've really enjoyed their articles. They've got some good stuff in there. I like that one. So. Okay. I guess I should also say Shutterbug because they did an article on me. <laughs> That's true. You can check out that interview. That was uh, in December of '05, right? Yes, that was uh, Shutterbug, December '05. Uh, uh, Barry Tannenbaum wrote the article. Great. I've known him for quite some time. He writes for Nikon and other people. Excellent. So you can check that article out and get get to know David a little more. Okay. Next question. Um, yes. Two lenses you can't live without. Ooh, my three hundred two eight. And probably my 15 millimeter uh, rectilinear lens. All right. Uh, favorite website. Favorite website. Yours. <laughs> That's a great oh. answer. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sure. <laughs> okay. How about um, favorite city to shoot in or favorite location? Let's do favorite location. Favorite location. Wow. I've been most everywhere. I like almost anywhere where I'm at. Um, I've been to Burma, and I think that's a beautiful place. Um, Mongolia wow. is also mm-hmm. a lovely place. Very, very different place, just for the culture aspect of it. But I really enjoy most places that I go. I make the best of everything. Uh, how about a, a dream assignment? Oh, heck, I've already had that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it? <laughs> Well, I'd say uh, going to Mongolia was pretty darn sweet. I I, uh, <laughs> I was traveling with a bunch of investors, and uh, and I got to travel and was treated just like all these other executives with formal dinners and wow. and and fun little gifts and all that sort of stuff. And normally my assignments are you're on your own and you're in a jungle or <laughs> or uh, you know just not not sleep in the most comfortable places and so on. So that that trip in particular to Mongolia was uh, rather special. It was treated quite well. It's nice. Great. Uh, okay, last one. Um, yeah. How about your favorite studio accessory? Hey, it's got to be that pocket wizard. All right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I, I just love that. I have, I have, uh, it, it has enabled me to create some very wonderful uh, photographs that you just couldn't have gotten otherwise at great distances. I have been very thrilled with the distance on it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with David Tejada, and David really had some really great stuff for us here tonight. Really appreciate that, David. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. I enjoyed speaking with you, and uh, hopefully your audience got a little something out of it. And Do visit the website, take a look at it, and see if there's something there of interest for you. That's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for links to the things that we talked about on today's show. 
And there you'll also find links to our photography and kind of keep up on some of the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us questions or feedback about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll either try to answer those questions on the show or on the forum in the lighting's question section. Or you can get feedback on your photos at our new Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Until next time. Take care.